Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. All right, good. Open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 80. Psalm chapter 80. So many of you are probably uh, familiar with HGTV. Some of you watch that show. Uh, There's a lot of interesting shows on that channel. Uh, You've got Rehab Addict with Nicole Curtis. You've got the show Restored, and probably their most famous show is the Fixer Upper show with uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and some of you are, yeah, in Waco, Texas. And all of the shows are basically about the same thing. They take an old house or an old property, and then people come in and they restore it back to new. And so the fascination of watching these shows is seeing something that's old and dilapidated and run down to be transformed, and then the people come in and they're all excited about the the transformation, the restoration. It's not just houses. Maybe some of you have seen these shows with cars as well. There's a show called Fast and Loud on the Discovery Channel where they go and they hunt for old cars and then they take them to the garage and the mechanics come and they restore them back to new for profit. And there's something interesting and fascinating about watching a show where they take something old and broken down and they restore it back to new. Now let's think about the Christian life for a moment this morning. Are there times in your life when you felt like you needed to be restored? You may have felt broken down. You may have felt run down, discouraged, a point in your life where you needed restoration. And let me ask you another question. This may hit some of you this morning. Have you ever felt those times in your life when God seemed distant? Maybe you even thought God was mad at you or you were under his hand of discipline. And maybe you felt dry in your spiritual life. There was not a lot of that intimacy and fellowship with God. You've experienced those times. You see, sometimes in the Christian life, two things I think can happen. We can get complacent. We just don't care. We get on cruise control. We get complacent. And other times, we can just be outright disobedient. We can be rebellious. And in either one of those times, as a Christian, whether you're complacent, just kind of going through the motions, or you're outright rebellious, God, as your Father, may come and discipline you for a season. And the reason God does that is because He's being good to you because He wants you to repent and be restored. Hebrews 12, verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Now, why do I bring up TV shows about restoration and repentance and the need for for this revival and repentance? Because what I want us to do this morning is look at Psalm chapter 80 together. 
And we're going to read this psalm, and I'm going to need to give some historical context to the psalm, because sometimes when you read an Old Testament book and you just jump right into it, you're not quite sure what's going on in the immediate context. But let's just read it together. Psalm 80, to the choir master, according to lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You've made us an object of contention. For our neighbors and our neighbors laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. Why, then, have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you've made strong for yourself. They've burned it with fire. They've cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face, but let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. So let me set the historical context for this psalm, just so you know what's going on in the nation of Israel back during this time. King David was the greatest king in Israel. After his death, Solomon became the king of Israel. Solomon was David's son. After Solomon's death, the nation had civil war. It divided into two kingdoms. So Israel was divided in two. Ten of the tribes went to the north, called the northern kingdom, Samaria. They set up false worship in the north. Only two tribes remained in the south, Jerusalem and Benjamin, and they were still in Jerusalem. And after many years, because the northern kingdom had gotten so wicked, so idolatrous, so rebellious, God sent the nation of Assyria to invade the northern kingdom. And so for a period between um, 734 and 722 B.C., the Assyrian armies came in and invaded the ten tribes in the north, took them off into captivity, and basically wiped them out. This psalm is a psalm of Asaph, who was in Jerusalem, leading the worship of the southern kingdom, who's looking at what God did to their brothers in the north and how God disciplined them with an invading army. And so this is a communal lament where the southern kingdom is looking at what God did 
And oftentimes when you see other people struggling, when you see other people going through hard times, when you see other people experiencing God's discipline, it's for you to look at yourself and to evaluate yourself and to ask yourself some questions because Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Now, you probably noticed that this psalm is built about around three repetitions. Verse 3, verse 7, and verse 19 say the same thing. Restore us, O Lord. Let your face shine upon us that we may be saved. It's three times it is in there. So here's the main point of this passage of Scripture this morning. The Lord restores to life those who repent of their spiritual complacency and disobedience. The Lord restores to life those who repent of their spiritual complacency or their disobedience. And so this psalm is divided into four sections. So we're going to look at these sections and they each teach something a little bit different. So in verses 1 through 3, here's what we see. When God seems absent... We should boldly cry out for His leading and His presence. When God seems absent, we should boldly cry out for His leading and His presence. You know, this is a prayer of desperation. This is a prayer of a people who have been humble. This is a prayer of a people who are broken, a people who have been invaded. And notice what they say in verse 1. They say, give ear. Listen to us, God. Listen to us. I like what Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says. Listen to this statement he makes. God, it seems, prefers an excess of boldness in prayer to an excess of caution. We come to Him as children, not as applicants. Think about that. You don't come to God as applicants like you're applying for a job hoping that God's going to hire you. You don't come to God and you give Him your resume and say, God, I'm coming. I hope you hire me. Here's my resume. I really hope I'm good enough for you to answer my prayer. No, we come to God as a Father and we boldly pour out our hearts to Him knowing that He listens to us. We can come boldly before the throne. And here's something we need to realize. The intensity of our coming to God and the, the uh, boldness with which we come doesn't somehow persuade God to help us. Your praying to God and crying out to God does not persuade God to help you. If you're a Christian, God is already committed to help you. God has already loved you. You don't change God's mind by praying and asking Him to do something that He doesn't already plan to do. What prayer does is it changes your perspective and shows you your need for God. And so what they're doing is they're, they're desperately crying out to God to listen. They're coming boldly. But notice what they call God. Shepherd of Israel. Shepherd of Israel. This metaphor of God being a shepherd is all throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 100 verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who's made us. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Whether we like it or not, we're sheep. And God is our shepherd. Isaiah, verse 40, verse, Isaiah 40 verse 11, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. 
He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And this God, the shepherds, he's enthroned on the cherubim. He's enthroned on the angels. He's this majestic, powerful God who is shining forth in all of his brilliance. And we know that this is a psalm to the northern kingdom because in verse 2, Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, those are the three children of Rachel, uh, Jacob's second wife. And Ephraim and Manasseh are the two main tribes in the north. But notice verse 3, because this is the repeated verse. Verse 3, verse 7, verse 19. What the psalmist says here is, Restore us. Restore us, O God. Your translation may say something a little bit different. It may say, Cause us to repent, O Lord. Here's the interesting thing about that word. The word, I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word. We're going to all say it together to see if you guys are awake this morning. Can you guys say shuv? Shuv. It's a, it's a good Hebrew word. Shuv means to turn. It means to repent. It means to go a different direction. But it also means to restore. So there's a play on words here in the original language where God is, is wanting them to repent but in the repentance, God is also restoring them back to life. Now, what do they want? What do these good Israelites want from God? What do they say in verse 3? Restore us, O God. Let your face shine. Now, if you go back to your Old Testament, the shining face of God was the most important thing the Israelites wanted. It goes all the way back to Aaron. The brother of Moses, the, the blessing of Aaron. You've probably heard what's called the Aaronic blessing in Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let the Lord's face shine upon you. Psalm 31, 16, make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. When what they're praying for God's face to shine upon them is that, that idea of intimacy, that idea of fellowship, that idea of favor, that God would come meet them in their point of need and be there for them in that present situation. So let me just ask you a question. Are not these two things you would want in your life? God to be your shepherd to lead you, and God's face to shine upon you as your friend. You see, we need God as our shepherd. I don't know about you, and don't raise your hands because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'll raise mine because I'm up here anyway. I'm clueless. I'm weak. Half the time I don't know what I'm doing. Half the time, I don't know where I'm going. I am desperate. I am weak. I need a shepherd. We are all like sheep that have gone astray. We need a shepherd. But we also need God's face to shine upon us. We need God's presence in our lives. We need God's favor upon us. You know, 
Theologically, you guys know God is everywhere all the time in all places, right? It's a big theological word, omnipresent. But there are those times where you just need to know what's called the manifest presence of God, the felt presence of God, to know that in that situation, God is there, and you know it. And so what happens here? is when you're complacent and you're, you're kind of on cruise control in your spiritual life and you're, you're complacent and you're dry, not really, you know, you're not really experiencing that intimacy with God, or maybe you're in outright rebellion, what you need to do is cry out to God boldly the way these Israelites do and say, God, I need you to be my shepherd. I need your face to shine upon me. I need to be restored. So that's what we see in verses 1 through 3. Let's look at the second aspect of this psalm. This is in verses 4 through 7. And, and you may not want to hear this one, but here's the second one. Second, sometimes God's discipline seems to last a lifetime. Sometimes God's discipline seems to last a lifetime. Now, what do they want to see? God, we want to see your face. We want to see the shining of your face. Instead of seeing God's face, they see smoke. They see darkness. Notice what verse 4 says. O Lord of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? How long will you be angry? That word angry means to smoke, to burn. Verse 4 is a very fair question. It's a plaguing question that maybe you've asked before. If you've been in a period of trial, tribulation, or God's discipline, this is probably a question you've asked God. How long am I going to go through this? How long is this going to last? Have you ever felt like that? God, the discipline seems to be going on forever. It's just one thing after another after another. When am I going to get a reprieve? When is it going to stop? And then in verse 5, there's this metaphor of them eating and drinking their tears as food. Instead of eating food, they're, they're eating their own tears as bread and drink. And notice what he says there at the end of verse 5. You've given them tears to drink in full measure. The original language has the idea of drinking from a keg. You've been to a kegger before? Don't raise your hand. Have you drunk from the keg of your own tears? The tears just keep coming, and the tears just keep coming, and you're crying. You see, here's one of the greatest dangers in the Christian life. If we're not careful, we can shed great tears over our situation and over our uncomfortable discipline and not shed tears over our sin that got us there. You see the difference? You can cry because things are going bad. You can cry because you're experiencing hard times. Or you can really cry because your sin has offended God. You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when he's talking about mourning there, he's talking about mourning our sin, being grieved over our sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And then notice verse 7 is a repetition of verse 3. 
little bit different language. Restore us, O God of hosts. Up in verse 3, it's just, O God. But it's basically the same request. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Here's something we need to remember. Even though these Israelites were experiencing the anger of God, they were still his children. So let me give you an illustration. Let's say, for example, my oldest son, Aiden, and I don't foresee this happening at all, but let's say, for example, he totally disowns us. He goes off the deep end. He becomes rebellious. He spits in my face. He spits in our family's face and says, I don't want anything to do with you anymore, mom and dad. I'm living my life. Would he cease to be my son by birth? No, he's still my son. No matter what he does, he's still my son. What would be affected if he did that? Not his position as my son, but that fellowship, that intimacy, that closeness. It's the same thing with God. If you're a Christian, you're still God's child. That doesn't change. You're still his child. You can't lose your salvation. You're always going to be his child. But... In periods of rebellion or complacency or spiritual dryness, what suffers? Not the fact that you're a child of God. What suffers is that closeness, that intimacy, that fellowship. You see, when you draw away from God and you run away from God, because God loves you, he's going to draw you back. And it may be painful. And it may be his discipline but he's doing it because he loves you. That's why James chapter 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God. Come to God. Cry out to God. Restore me, O God. Let your face shine upon me. And so the question they're asking is, how long, God? How long am I going to have to go through this period of being overtaken by the Assyrians? All right, let's look at the third issue in this psalm. This is in verses 8 through 13. Here's the third truth. God may discipline you in painful ways to mature you. God may discipline you in painful ways to mature you. Now, the first metaphor that we saw in this psalm was God being a shepherd, the shepherd of Israel. In these verses, we have this extended metaphor of a vine. Do you see that? Verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations. You planted it. You cleared the ground for it. This is all about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel were slaves in Egypt. God brought them out through the Red Sea. By the way, next Sunday, we start our new sermon series in the book of Exodus. We're starting Exodus next week. God took the vine, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, brought them into the Promised Land, drove all the nations out, planted them there. David became king. The, the kingdom spread all across the area. Its mighty cedars grew and its branches. And then all of a sudden, after this period of rebellion, the vine is broken down. All throughout Israel's history, they've been called the vine. Verse 13, the boar from the forest ravages it. That's an allusion to the Assyrian army coming in and, and overtaking the vine. 
Isaiah 5, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Jeremiah 2.21, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Okay, back in the earlier section, what was the question they asked? How long is this going to go on? And that's a fair question. When you're going through God's discipline, when you're going through periods of hardship, when you're under the hand of God's discipline as a father, it's very natural for you to ask the question, how long is this going to last? Look at the second question they ask. It's another fair question. Verse 12, why? Why have you broken down the walls? God, why have you ordained the Assyrian armies to come in and wipe us out. God, why did you do this? This is your vine. We're your people. Why did you cause this? Well, there's no answer in this psalm, but we know if you read your Old Testament history, the reason God did it was because they had reached a point of no return where they were beyond the point of repenting. They were obstinate. They were, they were rebellious. They were idolatrous. And so God sends Assyria in to overtake them. And they ask the question, why? Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. When you're going through hard times, when you're going through discipline, when you're going through the consequences of your sins, you ask those questions. How long am I going to deal with this? And God, why? And sometimes God may not answer you. And those are legitimate questions to ask. But the Bible in Hebrew says that it's painful for the time, but later on it's going to yield fruit. It's going to be for your good. Okay, let's look at the final section. Verses 14 through 19, this is where it gets exciting. Jesus... The Son of Man restores us so that we won't continue in sin. Now, I'm going to explain why Jesus is the Son of Man who restores you. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But look at verse 14. Look at what they tell God to do. Turn again, O God of hosts. It's the same word. They want God to turn toward them. They need to turn toward God, but they also want God to turn toward them. And then notice what they ask God to do. Verse 14. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. Literally, come down from heaven and inspect the vine. Now, here's their thought process. This is what they're thinking. Maybe God really doesn't know how bad it is after all. Maybe God's clueless. Maybe we're down here suffering and God doesn't have a clue. Maybe God needs to come down and really see what's going on. And if he sees what's going on, then maybe God will have some information he didn't have before if he just comes down. Now, what do we know? Not only does God know about their situation, but God decreed it. God was the one responsible for sending the Assyrian army. And so God is absolutely sovereign in your life, which should give you great comfort because nothing happens to you by accident. 
Everything happens because God is working out his purpose for your good. God doesn't have to come down to your life and inspect to see what's going on as if God's distant and doesn't know. If, if God would just come down and see what's going on with poor little me, he'd have some information and maybe he can help. No, God knows the beginning from the end. Actually, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is no other. I am God, there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I'll accomplish all my purpose. God knows the end from the beginning. God knows everything about you. Matthew 10, 29 through 30. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, for God, that's easier for some of you than others. But he has all the heads, the hairs of your heads numbered. Ephesians 1.11 says he works out all things according to the counsel of his will. And you guys know Romans 8.28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his good purpose. So when you go through times of struggle, when you go through times of discipline, when you go through hard times, you're bound to ask these three questions. Whether you would verbalize it or not, whether you'd say it or not, you ask the question, how long am I going to go through this? Why am I going through this? And God must not know about it. God must be clueless. If he knew about it, then I wouldn't be going through it. And what does the psalm say? God is absolutely sovereign and knows exactly what's going on. And then, interestingly enough, it almost seems like the psalm should have just kind of stopped. But in verse 17, it talks about the man of your right hand, the son of man you made strong for yourself. Now, who is this son of man at God's right hand? Is that a, the king of Israel or something deeper and greater going on? Think about it for a moment. How many times in the Gospels did Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man? And where did Jesus go after he ascended back up to heaven? To God's right hand. So if you want to know who the Son of Man at God's right hand is, it's Jesus. Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is a psalm about Jesus being the strong one, the son of man at God's right hand. And then in verse 18, they make a promise to God. We shall not turn back from you. Different Hebrew word there. It's more of a negative. It could be translated, we're never going to backslide. It's more of a backsliding. We're going to turn away. From, we're never going to turn away from you, God. We're never going to walk away. We're never going to backslide again. We're not going to do it. Now, I need to bring up something because this does not sit well with you if you read the Bible and you go through experience. Even though they say to God, restore us, cause us to repent, shine your face upon us, and we're never going to go that way again, let me just ask you a question. 
Did their situation change? Did God reverse the Assyrian armies and say, okay, I'm going to send the Assyrian armies back? No, they were still invaded. Their situation did not change. They still had to live with the consequences of their sin. They still had to endure the trials. But what did they have? They had the promise of God's presence and a renewed sense of that closeness and friendship with God. And that may happen to you. After going through trials, God's discipline, going through the period of feeling like God has abandoned you, and God brings you back, and you have that intimacy, you have that closeness, you have that fellowship, that's there, but your situation may not have changed. You may still be dealing with the consequences, but what's the most important is that renewed closeness that you have with God, that intimacy, that closeness. Now, you have to ask the question, Okay, where does the power come to be able to be restored to God? Where, where, where's the power come to not, to not backslide? Where does the power come to repent? Well, from this psalm, it's not in them. Not once in the psalm do they inflate themselves and say, I've got the power to do this. No, they are desperate. There is no strength. There's no self-sufficiency. There's no inner resolve to do better next time. They are broken. So what do they need? Look at the end of verse 17. They need the Son of Man whom you have made strong for yourself. They need Jesus to do this work in them. So let me just ask you a question. What are the two metaphors we've seen in this psalm? Shepherd, vine. What did Jesus say about himself? In John 10, 14 through 15, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. We need Jesus as our shepherd. We need Jesus to guide us, to lead us, to restore us because he laid down his life for us. We are sheep who've gone astray. And when we go astray, when we get complacent, when we get rebellious, when we get clueless and ignorant and foolish, we need Jesus as our shepherd to lead us back in his direction. 1 Peter 2.25, for you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of Man at God's right hand who is the true shepherd of Israel. But what about the vine? In this passage of Scripture, the vine is broken down. The vine failed. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the only way you're going to survive, the only way you're going to thrive, the only way you're going to grow, the only way you're going to mature, the only way you're going to be restored is by being connected to Jesus as the vine. Apart from him, you can do nothing. You need Jesus as your shepherd, and you need Jesus as your vine. In verse 18, they cry out, give us life that we may call upon your name. Only the breath of God can awaken dead faith. 
We need personal revival. We need church revival. We need national revival. We need Jesus as our shepherd and our vine to come blow life into us and revive us and restore us. And when he does that, what do we do? We will call upon your name. And then in verse 19, you see the third time this refrain is repeated. It's, it's the main point of the entire psalm. It's repeated three times. Restore to us, O Lord God of hosts. So there's a, there's a longer name of God there, but it's the same, the same request. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. So if you're complacent in your spiritual life right now, where your spiritual life is kind of, it's kind of blah, you're kind of on cruise control, you, you don't have that deep sense of fellowship with God or intimacy, you need to be restored. If you're rebellious this morning, if you're disobedient, if you're, if you're fully, you're not complacent, but you're actually walking away from God, you're drifting away from God, you also need to be restored. But you also need to repent. So which is it, Pastor Sean? Do you need to repent or do you need to be restored? And the answer is yes. It's the same word in Hebrew. The word for repent in Hebrew is the same word for being restored. So how do you get restored? You repent. When you repent, when you confess, when you own up, when you cry out to God, when you come to God boldly and say, God, I need you. God, I'm complacent. God, I feel this, this dryness in my heart right now. I'm not as close to you as I want to be. Or, or God, I know I'm walking away from you. When you cry out to God and say, Jesus, I need you as my shepherd and my vine. When you repent, what does he promise to do? He promises to meet you in that moment and restore you. He will cause you to repent. He will restore you. He will bring you back. He will give you life. So I'm not sure where you are this morning. This may not apply to any of you. Or it may apply directly to a lot of us. Whether it's the complacency, you're not really doing anything sinful. It's just complacent. Just kind of blah. My, my daily devotional with God is not where it needs to be. I just, I'm going through the motions. Would you be restored this morning? For some of you, it may be, you know what? I'm actually walking in outright disobedience. I'm walking in rebellion. I'm on the cliff about ready to jump off. You need to be restored today. So would you be like these Israelites and come boldly to God, not as an applicant, but as a child, and cry out to Jesus as your shepherd and say, Jesus, I need you to guide me. And as the vine... Without you, I can do nothing. And you know what he promises? His face will shine upon you. He will meet you in your point of need, and he will give you life. So let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. And let's just pray to Jesus and ask him to do that. Ask him to restore us. Confess your need for him to be your shepherd, your vine. Just spend some time going to Jesus in the moment of this quiet prayer time and just pray for this restoration.
Lord, we're thankful for psalms like this in the Bible that give us permission to ask those hard questions. Why? Or how long? Or God, do you even care? And yet we get the answer that Jesus, you're our shepherd to guide us. You're our vine. Without you, we can do nothing. We need to abide in you. And we get the promise of your face shining upon us, that friendship, that intimacy. So Lord, I pray for all of us in this, I would say in this room, but under your creation this morning, Lord, out in this park, that we would walk away this morning restored, renewed, rejuvenated, repenting. And Lord, we'd walk away with hope, not discouragement, because we know that you do know our situation. You do know what we're going through. And you meet us at our point of need exactly where we are. And you change us and you transform us and you, you renew us. Restore us, O oh Lord. Let your face shine that we might be saved. O oh Lord, let that be the prayer of our hearts this morning to give us joy on this day, but also to give us hope as we live the rest of our lives this week in the joy of your salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.